aren't TV movies fun? Join Amanda, Dan, and Nate as they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies on the Made-for-TV Mayhem Show. We are back, and it's the holidays, and I want to be all jovial and stuff, but I'm not really sure if that can happen, since the thing that we're covering today is maybe a little bit of a downer, but maybe two on the nose, too. We'll find out. Um, We're doing our annual Christmas episode. Some of it's going to be really fun. I don't know how the first part's going to go, though, so we'll find out. Um, And we are here today with Nate and Dan again, I think... Nate missed the last episode, but not the episode before it, so we're happy to have him back. Um, Nate, by any chance, did you watch the movie? I haven't watched them yet. I know it's been awful, but I've just, it's our busiest time at work, so I've not had much time for anything. I can't do five minutes with Nate if you don't watch the film. I know, I know. It's it's awful of me. I, I agree. Maybe you could pretend like you watched them. They were phenomenal. <laughs> you're a quick, you're a quick study. So um, <laughs> anyway, we're here with Nate and Dan, and we're also here with our regular annual guests, and I'm so happy to have her here. Hey, Joanna, what's up? Hi, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm. This is my time of year, so I'm busy, busy, busy. But I'm. I've been looking forward to this conversation like I do every year. So I'm glad to be here. Oh, we're so happy you're here. It's going to make this conversation, I think, so much better um, as we head into what our topic is tonight. So we're going to do a couple of different things uh, before I introduce everybody and sit down and talk to Joanna for a little bit. Not introduce, but like catch up with everybody. We are talking about a Monsters episode called Glim Glim. So for those of you who are listening who weren't around in like the late 80s, early 90s, Monsters was a syndicated series that was a lot like Tales from the Dark Side, which you may have a better frame of reference for. And it was basically like a Monster of the Week kind of thing. And um, it was real low budget, a little raw, and pretty effective for what it was. And they did two Christmas episodes. One, I think, was called A New Woman, which was kind of a take on Christmas Carol. And then they did this one, which is called Glim Glim, which is the one we're talking about today. And one that I randomly chose, not even remembering that it it might be seem really relevant in 2020 to be talking about Glim Glim. And it's one of those really fabulous downer Christmas things that come along once in a while. And it should be kind of an interesting thing to talk about, I hope. If not, we'll probably all just cry into the microphones and have a little bit of therapy, which might be good, too. So we'll find out. So anyway, Dan, I haven't said hello to you yet. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, is the, I was trying to figure out, this is the, um, is this the sixth year we've done a Christmas show with Joanne in a row, I think? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Six years, right? Oh, my God. Wow. Which is it doesn't a, seem that long. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Because I remember the first one we did was, what, Brady Bunch? Uh, Christmas. Oh, I think. yeah. So then I just remember us talking about that. Um, felt like just a little while ago, but but uh, I'm I'm doing okay here. We've got um we've got the tree up. Uh, George the dog has a Santa sweater on. In fact, I went for a walk this morning with George the dog, and I had a flannel on, and he had the Santa sweater on. And a guy got a little too close to me for my taste, but said, "I love your matching outfits," and kept on walking by. 
because we had the same Aww. color flannels on, which was that he was right. They're really cute. Um, uh, and but but yeah, we're we're here, and you know, I'm I'm working, working. Um, uh, and uh, yesterday, my wife and I watched uh, the Bishop's Wife, which we watch every year, which is wonderful. And then the the, the day before that, we watched one of the the Hallmark. Um, I forget what they're called the the, the Evergreen series. Yeah. The, the 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 one yes, with um the one with um uh Jules from uh, Psych where she plays the writer who comes into the town and they have the big advent calendar and everything like that. Yes, that's a good one. It was a lot of fun. There are like, I don't know exactly know how many of those are in that series, but we've got at least like three of them, I think, on our on our DVR. So we'll be watching some of those soon. And of course, yesterday, obviously, I watched Don't Open Till Christmas because you have to, because it's that good. Well, I think it's a law here in Texas. <laughs> it's it's a fantastic good thing. I always, I always forget with Don't Open Till Christmas just how, because I know there were all the production troubles when they made it, um, but it just how goofy just the structure of it is and everything. I mean, is, is it the, it's like the only slash or horror film I can think of where like you, you get the closing scene where the, um, the, the one who turns out to be the final girl is trying to walk by the the killer and the killer grabs her by the throat and then it goes into the flashback showing how the killer became a killer and then when it cuts back from the flashback to the actual present day in the movie it cuts to someone else and it's like huh what you didn't go back to the who's flashback what's going on who's it and it's just it's so great and and caroline monroe shows up and it's so much fun and it's Ah, it was good to watch it. It was good to watch. So, yeah, that's what's happening here. Just um, hanging out, waiting for um, my favorite uh, big guy in red to show up and deliver some gifts. Wow. Well, I think we're all waiting for that, except he he better keep six feet away at all times. <laughs> of course. Of course. That's all I ask. Maybe he'll send elves, because I don't think elves, I've read oh. that elves um, can't get it, can't get COVID. Wow. That's science, guys. He may send elves. Yep, I just read it on a very special website. <laughs> it would have to be very special. Yes. Yeah, very special. Uh, probably a YouTube. Uh, yes. We fight against mainstream media kind of uh, proof that elves website, yeah. reindeer. <laughs> so, uh, Joanna, I haven't really talked to you all year, and I actually really have no idea what you've been up to. Uh, so, I don't know where to start. But I was thinking today, one of the things I don't think I've ever really asked you. I know you did the Christmas story thing where you, you watch it for 24 hours and you kind of cataloged your life around watching it. But what other kinds of things do you do around Christmas that don't necessarily involve the work that you do? Like what kind of celebrations and rituals do you usually do this time of year? <laughs> Is there any? Yeah, I wish I had a big, elaborate, <laughs> uh, detailed, you know, full life that I could describe to you. But I... I I mean, we do have a tree, and I do celebrate with my small family, just my partner, Dominic, um, who you've met, and myself. And on occasion, uh, if I get invited to a party and it fits my schedule, I I, I will try to make um, a party or two during the holidays. But I most of my November and December is spent, you know, running between DVRs and, you know, going through TV listings and making sure I'm uh, capturing the close to 400 Christmas uh, and New Year's ah. programs that air these days. And so um, it's, you know, it's 16-hour days. <laughs> and um, I'd probably be healthier if I <laughs> attended more parties. But it's it's just two months. But, yeah, this time of year, it's it gets 
pretty hectic. So I was at, I was at a watch along party last week, and we were watching Daniel Steele romance movies as you do when you have a watch along party. But one of them was talking about all the Christmas movies they watched this time of year, and they said that there were some films that were made during COVID. Is that right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. How many? Do you know how many of those when it were in production? Most of them. You know, the shutdown came down in March and in April and pretty much shut down most of those productions. If a lot of Christmas movies were either in the middle of production or they were in pre-production ready to shoot. And so most of these productions very quickly adapted some sort. You know, they've got a lot of money involved <laughs> and invested yeah. in projects. And so um, they quickly put together protocols to keep everyone safe. Most of them were doing things like the actors were all quarantining two weeks before. You know, there were tests. Yeah. People were quarantining two weeks before and then shooting and then, um, you know, quarantining afterwards before they returned to their families. Everybody, all the crews were masked. Um, they just quickly adapted and figured out ways to keep everyone healthy and safe and still did these productions. I know that this year we have more Christmas TV movies that um, in a strange, weird twist, they benefited from um, Broadway actors being, you know, oh, shut yeah. out of theaters. So a lot of Broadway uh, or, you know, quite a few uh, Broadway actors were able to be in these Christmas TV movie projects because they didn't have prior commitments. And so <laughs> that's pretty cool. I was following along. I follow several um, actors in, in in Christmas TV movies and directors on social media, and they were talking about these uh, new pr procedures and new processes back, you know, in the spring and in the summer when they then went on and moved forward with uh, shooting the films. They were quite clear, you know, this is what we're doing and we're following guidelines and everybody wants to cooperate because everybody doesn't want to lose their investment and everybody, sure. everybody wants to stay healthy. It's amazing that they have as many, I thought for sure this year we would have fewer Christmas TV right. movies because of this, but we don't. We have the same number of Christmas movies as we had last year. I thought there would be some sort of, you know, there's, there's more than a hundred. There's like a hundred and uh, between 110 and 120 uh, new Christmas movies this year. That's the same as last year. The only difference is it is an increase. Every year, we usually have more. This is the first year where I'm not, not yet anyway, seeing that we have more. We just have the same number as last year, but that's a lot of productions. Um, yeah, it is. I'm actually like kind of shocked because um, the way I was following COVID is in terms of film production was actually through the soaps. Because, you know, they took an interim after everything kind of went crazy in March. And then a couple of the soaps came back. Well, all of them did, but uh, except for Days of Our Lives because they shoot six months ahead. So they were actually set. And they all had different protocols. And at the time, the only other production I knew of that went went back, um, besides something shooting in another country, was, um, well, this was actually being shot in another country, but it was uh, Neighbors, the Australian soap, was... Um, uh, they had this really interesting setup where they shot um, like they would certain crew were uh, paired off with certain actors 
and then they would get certain parts of the set so that they would always work with the same people at the same time in yeah. a certain part of the building at the same time. And then and on certain days, then other actors would work on the other sets with this other part of the crew. It was fascinating the way it was set up. But I didn't really hear that much about film production, which I don't know why, but I didn't see a lot about this. So it's interesting you talking about how it was actually really open online with the filmmakers actually talking about what they were doing because I saw so little of that. So when the um, this woman brought up that um, she was talking about a Jason Priestley movie she thought was shot during COVID because they were talking about how it felt like they were trying to act like there were more people at a party than there was mm -hmm. and how it was really awkward. And somebody said, oh, I think they shot that during COVID. And it had me wondering about all of these productions. So it's kind of really interesting. And I, I guess it's been better documented than I thought it was. Yes. So which is good. My TV movies can do this, too, because they're only shooting in a very short period of time, like two weeks. Right. Whereas, you know, maybe a larger production, a big Hollywood movie, they might be shooting for six or nine weeks. That kind of isolation isn't possible in the same way. So um, I don't know. They went for it. So and have you watched any of these yet? Me? Yeah, the COVID-produced uh, Christmas oh, specials. Yeah. Have you been able to? And would you feel like um, they're that noticeable? No, they all seem the same um, level of, you know, quality. <laughs> good. Well, I know what you mean by that. But, yeah, that's good. I'm glad. The differences that you can notice are, like, the variety programs. So, like, the concerts, mm -hmm. uh, when there's usually an audience, almost all of these productions don't have an audience. But they go out of their way to sort of show that they're following protocols. Often uh, some uh, musicians have plexiglass to to separate them from the crew or or you know other people on set mm -hmm. and they often make a point of uh, of showing that there is no audience so that everybody is safe but they're entertaining just for the cameras and just for everybody at home so it's still a live concert or it's it's a recorded concert and it's still an annual tradition this year is really different than most other years but um, we still have um, the same entertainment, and everybody is at home still wants to see all this uh, Christmas entertainment, so they're still making it. Yeah, it's a ridiculous industry. Like, every year that you come on, you talk about all the different productions, like just the numbers you threw out. Like, 110 TV movies made – now, is that 110 TV movies or 110 productions total? You said 400, right? Well, there will be 110 TV movies and then there will be another 10 or 20, you know, direct-to-video and ones released on the screen. This year, not so much on the screen. They're actually going to streaming services or they're going straight to television. But, um, yeah. That's incredible because so that number there is like approximately half of what the TV movie output was at the height of um, – the 70s when TV movies were really popular and those aired over nine months, right? Total on like all the networks. And so now you're talking about in like 50% of that output is being condensed into two months worth of viewing time. And that blows my mind, yes. like the enormity of that. But because there's different platforms, I mean, it must be difficult if you're super into Christmas movies to pick and choose. But I guess with the different platforms, it probably makes it a little easier. Uh, the times you can watch things as compared to it coming on at a very specific time and overlapping and things like that. So I guess that's the benefit of it. But like the fact that so many get produced every year, just it never fails to boggle 
my mind, and it never fails to boggle my mind that you keep up with it because you're like a one man show, right? So, <laughs> like that you're able to like keep up with everything that's going on, and not only that, because I know there's ten months out of the year we're sort of prepping and working on other things related to it, but still you're following these people's social media. Like this year, like you said, must have been very interesting because you're following how they're doing things on top of everything else. So like you're keeping up to date with not just the TV movies themselves, but everything leading up to the TV movie airing and the culture and the production history and things like that. And it's fascinating to me because it's such a, an enormous thing. And um, and I'm surprised that you're still standing. And I think you're right. You would be out there if you went to some parties um, <laughs> instead. So next year, I want you to go to at least four parties. Yes. Cool. Okay. So... <laughs> so what else have you been up to? So do you, did you release anything this year? Oh, no. Uh-uh. This has been a crazy year for me, too. I moved, and we had to um, be out of our old place before we had a new place to move into <laughs> during the pandemic. So that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like a, a gas. And, um, yeah, so the new house that I'm in now, like, I didn't really have a a chance to unpack before the Christmas season started. So I'm still surrounded by boxes and still digging and looking for certain books and references. And and where's that old paperwork I took? Didn't I have notes on this and that sort of thing? Uh, still trying to get organized. Um, but I'm in a new house and it's nice. And uh, I have no I have good new neighbors. So this is a nice. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. So it sounds like you're going to have a pretty good Christmas. It's just going to be a little chaotic, but in an okay way, because there's plenty of other chaos <laughs> this year that it could be. And it, luckily it's not. So um, I'm jealous because I would love to have a new house. That sounds really nice. And I'm happy for you and Dominic. So awesome. Um, I think let's go ahead and get into Glim Glim because... Let's just get it out of the way, guys. Let's get the elf, <laughs> elf in, out of the room, in the room out of the way. If those are just mice in your basement, why won't the cat go down there? Monsters. No, scary fun for your home VCR. Glim Glim, it's a, yeah, it's a half-hour episode of the Monsters Anthology series. It takes place um, right before Christmas, and there are three people who are living in the basement of a library. Uh, there is a guy named Carl, who's a bit of a jackass. There's a dad, whose name I don't remember. And there's a daughter, who I want to say is named Amy. But yeah. um, I, I, okay, uh, but I don't remember the dad's name, unfortunately. And they're living in there, and um, we learn through them that um, several days ago something fell from the sky, and it didn't fall in a nice fashion. It fell rather almost like a crash landed, and since that crash, uh, a virus has spread through this small town and killed approximately 700 people in the town. Basically, like, the three people in the basement are the only people left alive in the town. Glim Glim's talking again. He's up in the reading room. <sighs> Got one weird kid there. Where she get such a cutesy name for that monster, anyway? That thing is the reason that her mother's Carl. Uh, 
Why don't you go over to the window, sweetheart, and uh, see if Venus has risen yet. But it's cloudy. It looked like it was clearing. Go see. Besides, I told you not to mention anything. No, but you told me, Mr. High School teacher. And let me tell you something. Her mother's dead, as dead as my father. And that's just something she's going to have to get used to. And there was an alien named Glim Glim, who's a giant, fun-looking green guy, who basically seals off the town so no one can get out, and uh, the infection can't spread. And he he lives in... Well, he doesn't live in, but he's spending most of his time in the library above them. They're in the basement of the library because it's the only place in the in the area that has heat and, and light. Carl wants to kill the alien. The dad wants to learn more about it. And the daughter, who spends most of her time looking at the stars, is beginning to sort of communicate with it. And Glim Glim is this kind of, yeah, he's this big green guy with with four arms basically all around him. And he speaks in like a very high pitch, like, <laughs> kind of noise. And um, we learn, uh, because some of his, his noise is narrated, we learn that, yeah, he, he did kind of crash, and he's there to, um, uh, he's a scout there to just um, check out the human race, but he has accidentally released uh, a virus, sort of like an intestinal flu kind of thing, which doesn't bother him and his people, but kills everyone that's human. So he sealed everything off, and he's trying to find a way before his batteries run out and the force field goes down to stop this virus from spreading. And he thinks the three humans in the basement will be the ones who can help him because they have survived. They have some sort of antibodies. And basically, he it's, it, it becomes a race against time with him, Glim Glim, trying to find a way to communicate with the little girl and then with the two men um, before things get out of hand and the force field drops or um, Carl gets his hand on some guns and goes after the alien or Christmas ain't going to be so great this year, I guess is where I'm going to leave it right there. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So I'm sure Joanna's seen it, but Nate or Dan, have you guys ever seen this episode of Monsters before? Yes. Well, let's start with Nate. Uh, Let's just start with our general thoughts on it and then we'll dive into the story. Um, Nate, what did you think of Glim Glim? Um, I really liked it. It was one of the, um, you know, like uh, episodes where I just I had no idea how they were going to end it. And I'm not going to spoil it, but I just mean like it was very unpredictable for me, um, you know, until the, the finale. I thought the cast did a really good job. Uh, the storyline was um, really good. And of course, at only 21 minutes, it moves at a very fast pace. But it's yeah, it was uh, really good. Um, you know, very well done. Uh, it's hard to say anything that's not going to be a spoiler. So I will say that I really enjoyed uh, it a lot, and I liked Glim Glim. I thought he was cute. <laughs> I love Glim Glim. I will tell you, when I posted that we were going to be covering this episode, I got a couple responses where people wrote Glim Glim with, like, a little broken heart. Oh, and I, I, think he, I think he had an effect on people, including myself. But, Dan, what did you think of uh, Glim Glim? I, I like it, um, but it... it um... 
I, I guess it's kind of a spoiler to say it. In the end, it depressed me. Um, yeah. I, 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 it, w- it was weird because I own the Monsters DVD box set, which I bought maybe four or five years ago, and I watched it then, and I had no remembrance of what it was. In fact, when you said to us, we're going to be watching, like an email said something like, we're going to be watching Monsters Glim Glim and doing the game, I thought that was maybe like like a Japanese show, like Monsters <laughs> Glim Glim or something. I didn't realize when I looked at it closer, I was like, oh, oh, an episode of Monsters. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't remember it at all, but it was one of those episodes where I, I didn't remember it, but every time something happened, I remembered it. Yeah. So it started, and the people come into the sneak into the basement. I'm like, I remember this. And then I saw Glim Glim, and I was like, I remember him. And that went on the, all the way to the end. And um, I think I think it's it's nicely done. Like 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 Nate said, there's no um, there's it's all it's it's no, there's no filler. It's just each scene advances the story a little bit more, sometimes a lot more, and each scene moves it forward. And there's no time to to goof around or, or fool around. And we go from beginning, middle, end very quickly, very nicely. Yeah, and in in the end, it's um it's uh it's I, I guess I guess I yeah that's my basic thought on it. I have more to say, but I think it's I think it's a very good episode of monsters yeah i would agree with you um now i've only seen a handful of episodes but um uh, over the last couple years i've been like sampling the series for different reasons and i'm really impressed with the show i think i like it actually better than tales from the dark side which Mm -hmm. is kind of ripping off and they have some of the same people involved in both productions i like the rawness of it it's really really low budget like if you thought tales from the dark side was low budget you ain't seen nothing it's Mm -hmm. it looks like an a-list hollywood production where monsters is like the polonia brothers you know what i mean it's like as direct to video as you can get but they aimed high with the stories you know what Mm -hmm. i mean so like um there was a lot of thought in um the writing that I really appreciated. And this is the one of the ones that I've seen thus far that has really stayed with me, I think, because of the ending. Um, it's very effective, even though I think the alien itself is really clunky. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, this is one I really liked, and it comes across my mind more often than not for some reason, and I think about it quite a bit, so I thought this would be a good year to discuss it. Um, Joanna, I know you've seen Glim Glim, but what do you think of it in general? Oh, I love this story. I love it a lot. You know, when Carl is so antagonistic and Amy has no fear, um, you just know that this is going to be one of these fatalistic dark stories. Um, You know, this is another one of those episodes where I'm like, wait a minute, who are the monsters here? Is it Glim Glim that's the monster or is it Carl? Um, I love those stories that make you think. I think this is very well written and and very thoughtful. You know, Glim Glim has a conscience. He feels guilty for inadvertently, you know, bringing the sickness to these people. And he's working really hard to, you know, bring a a cure so that he doesn't uh, accidentally kill, you know, the rest of the population on the planet. And he's very gentle and caring with Amy and yet Carl... (laughs) <laughs> is um, who he is. And uh, that doomed path that this story takes is, um, is it's fascinating and, and it's, it's wonderful every time I watch it. One of the things I was thinking about, because I know we have this conversation every time Joanna comes on, I'm like, do you think this is a Christmas movie? Right. And Glim Glim <laughs> has very little actual Christmas in it, but I think the themes of like goodwill towards men to me is what stands out about it and makes it a Christmas episode. Um, what are your thoughts on the Christmasness of it? Well, 
first of all, it's it um, between all the commercial breaks, it the story, the theme music is an off key Hark the Herald Angels sing. That's right. Mm -hmm. We do find out in the story itself that it is December 24th. And Glim Glim decorates a Christmas tree. And without wanting to spoil too much, he even has a holiday message that he has written out in his own hand. So oh. so this is <laughs> Okay, good. Yeah, because I'm sorry not to cut you off, Dan, but just real quick. When I was watching it, I kept thinking, there's not as much Christmas in here as I thought. But no, you're right, all the things that you brought up. I think for me, it's like a more of a visual thing. Like Dan and I covered an episode of uh, Shades of Love, which is this romance series from Canada. Oh, yeah. And Echoes and Crimson is technically a Christmas episode, but it's very much in the background. Mm -hmm. To us, you know, like it's just sort of in the setting. They never actually reference Christmas in it. But we were talking about how we noticed it in, in this. And this one for me, I felt it more in the themes, but I wasn't actually thinking of like the more obvious things about like them discussing the dates so much and things like that. But I'm sorry, Dan, go ahead. It's it obviously not a not a happy Christmas time, but there is the moment where uh, like Glim Glim says, "I want to say it's on Christmas Eve uh, before." The, pardon me, the shit hits the fan. Or the glim glim hits the fan, if you'll forgive me. But um, uh, I, I, I want to say there's a point where he's doing his he's he's giving his report to whoever is in Orion on the other end, and he says something like, you know, fifth day since touchdown or something. Continuing ship's log for Scout four two six cube three, fourth local cycle since landfall. I'm learning much about these primitive aliens. Have hooked up power source to local library. Pursuing research into their writings and examining their dead. Had thought all in this locale wiped out, but have recently sighted one or two survivors. They are in hiding and will not be easy to reach. They are frightened. And you're like, fifth day. So if this is like the 24th, so he landed on like the 19th or the 20th of December. And between the 19th, like on the 19th of December, everyone in the small town, 700 people were looking forward to Christmas, were having a great time, where it probably looked like a beautiful town in a Hallmark Christmas movie. Five days later, everyone is dead. There's a force field around the town, and there are only three living beings apart from Glim Glim. And, and oh, well, three living humans, I'm sorry apart from Glim Glim. And so there's something about like the moment he says that where you're like, wow, this is like, this is the worst Christmas season ever. <laughs> and, and, and that, that to me made it even, um, even, even kind of sadder and darker, you know, that like you, you hope to, to me always when I was a kid, like Amy's age, whenever, even, even the year when my dad died, when Christmas approached, I believed that it was going to be a good time. And to suddenly be like five days away from Christmas and everyone around you starts dying from some sort of viral plague thing and suddenly you can't get out of town. It's just like, I mean, it's dark, obviously, but it's like that that to me made it made it even um, more powerful when you get to like when you you learn what's happened and where the, what's the, every what Glim Glim is trying to do and and the ending. It's just uh, for me, it's very the Christmassy. It's it may be Christmas adjacent. But the Christmas makes it more powerful, I think. That's a device that's used quite a bit, you'll see, in stories that are thoughtful like this. They're placing the setting at Christmas time in order to juxtapose it with that dark yes, story, yes. That, with that thoughtfulness, just as you were saying. So it, it heightens the emotions and makes it even more uh, moving and emotional that 
yes, it's just before Christmas and now everybody's dead. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. It's doing that on purpose in order to heighten those emotions and to heighten that action that happens. My wife and I just rewatched The Long Kiss Goodnight, which takes place right before Christmas, and the final enormous sequence with like the huge bomb on the bridge in Niagara Falls, uh, with Gina Davis and Samuel Jackson going crazy, shooting tons of people and all kinds of craziness. Um, the bomb goes off at midnight, so it goes off the moment Christmas begins. Yeah. And so it's kind of it's fantastic, but 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 yeah, no, you you, you I I it's it's really nicely used. It's very low key, but then in a way, everything apart from maybe the very end is low key in it. Yeah, I think the thing that strikes me about it too is the idea of like Christmas is not just something that we celebrate here on Earth, but it became this universal right like thing that was to meant to bring people or a species or whatever you want to call them uh, together in this kind of brotherhood was what I think Glim Glim and the little girl were hoping. And, um, and so I was struck by the use of Christmas in that way to, to sort of be like this thing that is meant to bring warmth to everybody, but the, the device is being used even outside of our own planet. Right. And as a, as a device to, to bring us together. And I was really struck by that. And, and then at the same time, it's kind of cynical in a way because that is sort of uh, torn out of the um, equation, right? And and it ends up leading, it doesn't, how do I want to word this? I'm not wording this right. It's, I think that it's, it's using a universal, it's using a theme and saying it's universal, meaning everybody celebrates this or brings a certain kind of warmth, but then it turns it on its ear and it feels really dark at the end because even this thing that everybody, that is supposed to make everybody feels, feel good has led to um, sort of death and destruction too, right? Like the misunderstanding of him building the Christmas tree. Cause you know, so, I'm not sure I'm explaining myself right. I'm sorry. But, like, he spent all day putting up that tree because, you know, they were down in the basement of the library and they kept saying, he's going back and forth. He's going back and forth. What could he be doing, right? What do you suppose he's been up to all day? <clears throat> I don't know. But he's certainly been busy. Yeah. Gone in and out at least a dozen times already. It almost sounds like like he's building something. Well, I'm not going up to look, that's for sure. Building the tree, which is such a sweet thing, right? He spent all day prepping this tree, only to, like, die next to it, right? And so it's so um, heart-wrenching because it's taking this idea of what should be really warm and, and a moment for all of us to feel closeness with each other. And then that, that, that's been sort of taken away from us, I think is what I'm trying to say, if that makes sense. Would you have preferred it maybe if Glim Glim had... Um, during the final scene when he approaches Carl and the dad, if if uh, he had been dressed like Santa, maybe, and he came out, I would and he had have a big loved... beard on, and he went. Huh? <laughs> I would have loved that. I would. I don't fully understand Glim Glim because he keeps saying that he's a superior life form, but he can't hold the snow globe very well. Like his yeah. limbs don't work properly, and so he like drops the snow globe, and it's like he it's, it feels like he can't really do anything properly. Maybe it's a gravity or something. Maybe his body is made for a different gravity, and he can't. Um, he's unable to adjust, which is why his arms are not work. Which is why he break when he tries to write. He breaks the pencil. That's right. Maybe it's just everything's like heavier for him or something, and he just can't. Or maybe everything's lighter for him. I don't know, Glim Glim. You know, I've I've only met him briefly. Well, you're good. Well, it was a guess. It was a <laughs> well, it works for me. Well, you've been using science. I mean, didn't you say science proved that there's elves? And yes, exactly. COVID? Yes, right. there's that cool. website I've seen. Yeah. yeah, and I think they talked about Glim Glim 
and his gravity <laughs> issues, right? Really so this is all backed by science, this conversation. Really so, um, so anyway, yeah, so I like the setup a lot. So I guess monsters, they, and we'll talk about it when we get to the background, but monsters had a very set guideline. They're sort of like Harlequin romance, romances in that they had a structure, and I think the structure was something like 588, eight, meaning that they had five minutes before commercial, then eight minutes before commercial, then another eight minutes. So your story had to have followed within those uh, three little time lengths. You could only have so many actors, and you weren't allowed to have exterior shots because they couldn't afford them. And so they had this very defined structure. And within that structure, they they told a pretty compact, really fascinating tale. And it's it's amazing to me that this show, and I guess a lot of shows like this, pulled that off. I could see it more so with something like maybe The Twilight Zone or even like One Step Beyond, only because those movie, those shows had probably more significant budgets. And and we're and probably larger crews and things like that. But it's amazing to me, like little shows like this. And it's interesting too. So like, do you guys remember? I don't know if they ever did a Christmas episode, but do you guys remember Freddy's Nightmares? I love Freddy's Nightmares. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no offense. I mean, I like it, but what the f? So like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Monsters was able to tell a story pretty coherently, oh, and it well, was sort yeah. of like if Freddy's Nightmares was good. <laughs> I was going to say, the thing with Freddy's Nightmares is that you, you have to get get caught up with the fact that every single half hour delves into dream world and nothing makes sense and it, it goes off. And sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's, yeah. But uh, I quite like Freddy's Nightmares. I like it because it's so surreal. But I, mm. but I mean, in terms of, maybe it's because I see monsters closer in line with um, social commentary. Sure. Oh, definitely. Then Freddy's Nightmares. Maybe that's why. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. So anyway, so they had this very defined structure. And within the structure, they were able to tell these little compact stories. And they did some really interesting stuff with it. There's one, one of their first episodes is about a girl who's a puppeteer. And she gets pregnant. And the doll that she operates on this children's show doesn't want her to have the baby. And so it does all of these things to her. It's really interesting, and it's sort of about her trying to make a decision about her own body. But it's done through this kind of fantasy story with this sort of doll monster, right? And so, like, they did a lot of really neat stuff in the series. And, and Gloom Gloom is one of the best in terms of um, its commentary because it's so effective. So we should probably talk about the ending because I think it's the ending that the sure. whole story kind of hinges on. So all of this stuff is happening, and they're stuck in the basement. And um, the little girl is really interesting because they're constantly talking about things that they don't want her to hear, but she's only like three feet away the entire time, and I'm positive she's listening to them. And the one of the things they stated at the beginning is that her mother had died from the virus, but the father didn't want her to know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how he could keep that a secret because everybody in the town was dead. Like, I wasn't really <laughs> sure what he was doing. But she would read these books, but she would periodically look over to the two men talking. And it seemed to me like she was absorbing all of the conversations that were happening. She, I think she knew her mom was dead. She never asked about her mom, I don't think, once. Anyway, but she reads a lot. And she's really into consuming information. And like you said, she looks out into the stars. She's curious about things. And um, and her brain is more open. Her mind is more open to uh, accepting these kind of extraordinary events, possibly because she's a child, um, which leads her to forge a relationship with Glim Glim because she's the only one that's not afraid of him. And they start to do this really adorable stuff where, like, she puts out the alphabet and then he points to the letter so that she can spell out the words and understand what he's asking for. I say he like I know it's a he, but like, um, 
And while this is happening, he does these things that are really fascinating, like when he's reading his logs, like recording them, and they're and they're actually translating them for the audience. So you hear Glim Glim talking, and then there's a voiceover. And one of the things he says that's really poignant to me is he says, it's snowing outside. I miss home. Personal note, the local moon is rising and snow is falling again. Reminds me of home. Long to be back with my younglings but fear I shall never see them again. It's so tragic, all my fault. How will I bear the guilt of causing the death of an entire species? Would have to destroy myself. And it's so touching because, you know, he's just lost and this thing happened, right? And that's out of his control and he's killed all these people and he's trying to fix it. And so he's using the little girl and he believes that her blood has, right, these antibodies that will help her um, help him figure out how to like create a vaccine um, that will save the rest of the world before his force field dies because it's running low on batteries, by the way. Did you catch that? (laughs) (laughs) This is pretty adorable. And so, so he's putting blood in a snow globe of all things and the dad sees them together and he misinterprets what's happening and glim glim drops the snow globe as he does because he's it's too heavy for him apparently because of the gravity according to dan and so he can't hold it and then and then uh, all this time carl had been holding on to this gun for protection and so they take the gun carl and the dad and i can't remember which one is holding it but they go up and they kill they both have a gun they oh do they both have a gun mm-hmm. and um and i don't know who shoots them. do you remember? dad does most of the shooting carl that... may do the carl may do the first one but dad does the majority they shoot like four times and dad does most of the shooting and he falls over and then the little girl is like you know what was that what did you do to glim it's actually really heartbreaking um mm-hmm. where's glim glim what did you do to him and then he's holding that sign and does the sign say merry christmas yes yeah. Yeah, and then that's it. And you're like, oh, my God, the force field's going to die, and everybody's going to get killed by this virus. The end. Yay. Yeah, here and, comes and when, when, <laughs> when you watch it the second time and you know what the paper says, it's it's even a little more heartbreaking because the first time he's waddling towards them, <laughs> I could see myself getting freaked out, too. But the second time yeah. when he's doing it, he has, and you know what the paper says, you you could see him being almost like grimace, you know, from McDonald Land or something, just being like, "Hey, check this out, guys!" You know, Mister Snuffleupagus walking up with you know piece of paper in his trunk or something like, "Check this out!" But Glim Glim's just making noise and freaking dad out, and Carl's been freaked out for five days, so he's probably doped up on something. I think Carl's been freaked out for like 28 years. Probably, yeah. You can tell by all the um the uh, uh the the shots just like looking right up into his face from his chin, like sort of the, all the dutch tilts and everything like that kind of looking yeah. up at him. Yeah. I kind of think you could tell by all the scenery between his teeth. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. He chews the scenery quite a bit. And I remember thinking to myself, why is the sexy one so nutty? That was tough for me. But <laughs> Anyway. Why didn't Amy hear the commotion that was going on right next in the room next to her? That's what yeah. I was like. She should have ran out and been like, "Stop! Stop! Stop! It's a misunderstanding." I don't know. I can't answer that. Okay, I'm. I'm I read way too much into that. So. <laughs> no, I, I, I. I'm just I, gonna assume she didn't hear them. I. You. You know what, Nate? This this morning when I was on my my morning walk and I was thinking about this episode, the one thing that bothered me about the episode, and I came up with an excuse for it. Okay. 
Um, but it'll take it'll take it, it, this will take a moment um, because if you if you think you've got so you've got this little girl who's gone through all of this, you know we're we're guessing that she knows her mom's dead, um, but dad won't tell her. She's there listening to Carl and the dad like have conversations that are like, come on, we gotta kill this thing. We gotta conversations like this day after day. She's trying to talk with this alien who killed everybody and she's got all this stuff going on and she spends a lot of her time with a book of stars staring out a window going look at that star there's a great star while meanwhile presumably all around her are like bodies outside so she's doing look at that star and she's spending all her time talking with glim glim and when he's taking her blood do you see how much blood he has that's a lot that's a lot of blood so my question was you you hear the commotion at the door. She knows Carl has guns because she saw him bring them in. And so when Glim Glim goes to the door to meet up with the guys, why doesn't she go with them and say, hey, you know, don't do it. Don't stop. I know this is a big goofy green guy and he killed everybody, but he's got an explanation. Instead, what happens is the two guys walk in with the guns looking for the daughter who they just saw having all her, apparently all of her blood drained from her. This goofy alien thing rushes them. They shoot it, kill it, go into the next room, and there she is. Hey, I just finished decorating the tree. What was that noise? Where's Glim Glim? Daddy, where's my friend Glim Glim? Daddy, please tell me you didn't hurt him. Daddy, you didn't hurt my friend Glim Glim, did you? Huh, I think a mix of all the daughter's been through over the past four or five days, along with the loss of all that blood, has made her cuckoo. I think she's gone over the top. I think she's just, I think she's screwy at that moment. That's why it doesn't occur to her to go out and, represent glim glim he's the one that can't speak english don't send him out you go i mean wouldn't it made more sense if if when they came in with the guns she was standing there and she said i'm fine glim glim's hiding let me tell you what's going on well i kind of think she was in the middle of like getting her blood drawn so like i don't think she was expecting them to come up right and so like i think the whole thing at the end took her a little bit by surprise it's just the fact that they they have guns and Glim Glim grabs the paper and is going out there, and she's looking at through. I, I just, I just feel like, like, like at, at least, like Nate said, she could have run out and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" You know, even if she didn't know it was going to happen. But I think, I think she's gone a little round the bend. Personally, that's why she acts like that. I don't understand why they just didn't shoot him in the first place. Like, if they had the True. guns and and they didn't know anything about it, this alien came down and sh- and killed like. 697 people in their town you think they would have just blown him away so i i don't even know why they held off on that aspect of it the interesting thing at the end is that it's not it's not one of those endings where when it happens you're like oh humanity you know kind of like um i don't know uh i was gonna say a really dumb movie like the astounding she monster if you guys have ever seen that, where, you know, this strange radioactive woman keeps coming up to people and, like, shocking them and killing them. And in the end, it learns she was just trying to sort of reach out to them and, and you know, bring peace. 
but she doesn't know how to do it, mm. and she keeps killing people, and it ends with them like shooting the hell out of her, and then finding like a little note that says, "I bring peace from all the planets," and you're supposed to be like, "Oh, humanity, when will you learn?" This one doesn't quite have that because if if things had gone a little different, humanity would have learned. It's just things were a little off the whole time. You know, if if the little girl had just learned a little bit more or something else had happened, it would have worked perfectly. But it's just slightly off. And so when when it ended, it was more a sadness and a, well, we're all dead, than a sort of, oh, lesson learned. They they needed 32 minutes, not 30. Yes, And yes. they could have solved all our problems. It's funny because jo- Joanna brought – I keep wanting to call you Johanna because I've been dealing with a woman at work named Johanna. And I, so <laughs> forgive me. Joanna brought up something, and I don't know why I never thought about it, but I loved it when she said, who is the monster here, right? And uh, I, first of all, it made me think of Cannibal Holocaust because that movie is oh, all yeah. about – sure. The, sure, of course. <laughs> right. Who is the uncivilized person? The, uh, the idea of that is so – like I want to write a dissertation now on monsters because – the more I think about it, the more I think, like, is that a common, or I'm wondering, I guess, is that a common theme on these shows uh, or episodes of Monsters? But it, that's kind of really what it's saying in a way, because you're right that it would be impossible to really know what was happening. And everything did happen so fast that, of course, he's terrifying to you. Like, you don't you don't understand that it was an accident. There's no way for you to fully comprehend that. And um, and so it makes sense to me that their reactions would be so extreme. But at the same time, their Carl's level of yeah. wanting to figure things out or come to an understanding is so closed off that it would have been impossible anyway, even if there was a way yeah. to communicate. Right. So mm-hmm. and that's what makes it so interesting, because Carl's already got this like sort of um, preconceived notion about what everything is. And there's no way you're going to get him to believe anything else. Whereas the father is sort of like the middleman between the two. Right. So like the little girl is really open to glim glim. Carl is just Ooh, I don't know what you would call him, but uh, but the dad is somewhere sort of this middle guy who I think could, if it had just been the daughter and the dad, it's possible that they could have come to some kind of happier it's, conclusion. It's the moment the moment he sees his daughter, he believes menaced. I mean, he's, he's this giant green alien who just killed everyone is taking a huge amount of blood out of his daughter, and so you could, that's the moment where he. He yeah goes and so you you could say if if you think of it purely from their point of view of this thing just killed destroyed everything we loved yeah they you know you you it does it does you know you I would prefer that but you know what I would have done I would have had a gun with me what I would have done is as Glyn Glyn was r- rushing me I would have gone around that like librarian desk thing and whoosh, shot by him into the back room to see if I could find Amy that's what I would have done. I think what I would have done when they first went in, so they had not gone upstairs at first to see what was going on, but they heard Glim Glim leave one day and they wanted to kind of check out what he was doing upstairs and what they found was not pleasant. They found like he was trying to do an autopsy, but his way of doing autopsies was to remove somebody's head (laughs) and then look inside their body apparently, which was not the best way to do an autopsy. But they got in there and there were books everywhere and they were like, oh gosh, he's reading all these books. He's trying to learn about us. And I thought, what if they just returned all the books and reshelled them? (laughs) Then maybe he would have left. Oh, maybe and like, and like every night when Glim Glim went out, they reshelved the books. He's <laughs> like, they don't. These books don't want me to learn. It's the books that are the power. Or charged him late fees. Oh my gosh, yeah. One of those might have been a more peaceful way. 
yeah, I just checked my bank account. I've been charged $50 by the library here. I'm not happy. Oh, God, that's horrible. Um, have you guys ever seen Race with the Devil? Yes. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember that scene where the two women steal the book out of the library? No. Okay, so they're trying to figure out what's happening with it being followed or whatever, and they end up going to this library in that small town that they get stuck at, and they're not allowed to check out any of the books, so they steal one, which is something on cult or something. And and when IMDb used to have message boards, there was literally like a 10-page message thread about how they were actually being hunted down because they stole a book from the library mm. because, you know, books in libraries are considered sacred objects. Yes. And there, this is true. And therefore, that's it, that's mm. why they were being chased. And they kind of deserve to die because they stole a book out of the library. Huh. Yeah. I don't. I'm going to watch it again. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just saying, keep that in mind. When So it's like if they had charged some late fees or like rechecked in the books or something, it would have confused them. And I think that would have gotten us on our way. And um, and then maybe we would have just left. Mm. And the force field would have gone up and everything would be okay. <sighs> that would have been... The, the ending wouldn't have been as interesting, but <laughs> the, the montage yeah. of them putting all the books... Could you imagine how frustrated Carl would get? I don't get this Dewey Decimal system. Yeah. <laughs> Who is this Dewey Decimal? God! Oh. When I was in library school, they actually used to give us Dewey Decimal quizzes, and oh you would have to look at the decimal systems and try to figure out what category the book was based mm -hmm. off the numbers, and I never got it right. It was really <laughs> hard. Um, so, yeah, I don't blame Carl. But anyway... Anyway, so Glim Glim is one of those really dark um, Christmas things that I don't know. If, is there is there a question about what it's saying, Joanna? Do you think is there a theme in there that we haven't talked about? Um, I I think it's about don't lead with fear, but lead with openness and a peaceful heart, like Amy, and perhaps you'll find a friend instead of. <laughs> Um, killing the cure that may have saved the rest of the planet. <laughs> you know, that it's funny they use the word friend because it's, that was written on the first piece of paper he gives her. Do you know there's that weird writing? Yes. Do you yeah. think it's the word friend? Is that what it's supposed to say? Yeah. Because I couldn't make it out. So, okay. Um, we're getting all our questions answered today by the Christmas expert. So, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, there, you're bringing up so many things that I I never think about. I just think about like how upsetting the end of it is. It's not even so much that the idea of that they've killed the cure, but that that they were so quick to kill this thing because they didn't understand it. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. And I sort of under, understand coming at it at face value, like Dan and I talked about. Like, of course, all this stuff is happening. So from your perspective, if that was you, yeah, it would be very upsetting. But there is this idea that the, that there ignorance led to total devastation for the world you know and and for me that was always kind of the theme of it um did you guys pick up on any other kinds of themes dan or nate uh no <laughs> i always say like i mean if somebody asked me about glim glim my opinion would probably be less than five minutes long because you know, I mean, I, I love it, and I thought it was great, but then when I do this show with, with you guys, I mean, oh, it's, it's been an hour, and we're still analyzing <laughs> this 21-minute TV show. That's not a complaint, but I'm like, <laughs> you guys are so good at reading between the lines. I am not at all. But, but Nate, Glenn Glenn had family. I know, because he said he wanted to get home to his kids. Yeah. Well, now I'm all woe again. Oh. There, the 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 last thing I'll just say is that when when I watched it the second time, I did like I said, I counted the bullets and the 
there are there are three or four bullets fired, and most of them are fired by the dad. So the fact that you would think Carl would be the one doing it, yeah. like finally I could shoot this mother, you know, and just just fun. but it's the dad doing it because he's where's Amy? Where's Amy? She's nowhere to be shot. So he's he's shooting because it's his 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 daughter. His his family was wiped out, and his the his only other you know connection to love in the world is apparently might be dead in the other room drained of because you remember what they saw the last yeah, time right. they went in the room so 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 it is interesting to me that the dad does do more of the shooting and um then carl does carl in fact looks for a split second like wow you're really going for it uh when when the dad is is doing it so um that's why i asked you who shot because in my memory i remember being the dad but i kept thinking that can't be right because he seemed it's, it's, so much more open than than carl did and so it's mostly the dad yeah yeah but in a way i mean it's his daughter so that makes sense too the thing i think that struck me the most about the episode aside from the really dark ending and some of the themes is that the idea that they were completely isolated they didn't know if other people in the world had been affected by it and so to them they were living in this state of total uncertainty and glim glim put this force field up and i made me wonder if the outside what the outside world was doing concurrently with their story do you know what i mean like were there army trucks outside the force field and was there like lots of news or had anybody or had anybody even noticed because it was such a small town that like maybe there they only get uh, people from the outside world once in a while you know what I mean? Like, like people don't pass through the town a lot. It's hard to know. And so I was curious, like, what had hap- what was happening in other parts of the world at the same time. And they never clarify, obviously. But it, that's one of the things about the episode that I always end up thinking about when they talk about how they don't know what's happening. And um, and it's it's really fascinating. It's like it's almost like you could make a second film that goes alongside this one, you know. Yeah. And, and there's and this is the last thing I'll say. The, the thought, too, that when it ends you know that the force field is going to go off soon, but you don't know when. But the Carl and the dad make a point of saying, what if we kill the alien and the force field never goes down and we're stuck inside here with all these dead bodies for forever? And so we know we know the force field's going to go down, but there's something, too, about, like, these next few hours are going to be hell. When they realize the alien's dead and they don't know how to get yeah. the force field down or if it will ever go away, that's not a way to spend your Christmas. That's a bad Christmas. It was a bad Christmas all around for Carl and Amy and uh, Mr. High School Teacher. (laughs) Mr. High School Teacher. Well, he's like, you teach high school. Doesn't he say something really derogatory about him being a high school teacher? Okay, Mr. High School Teacher. (laughs) So that's the only way I know how to refer to him. Anyway, that's a glim glim. Um, And it it was glum glum. You get that? Get it? I got it. I got it. Yeah. Okay, so... Let me do give you a little background. So one of the things about Glim Glim that I was really excited to come across is that F. Paul Wilson, who wrote the screenplay or teleplay for uh, this episode of Monsters, actually has written about making this episode of Monsters. So this is probably one of the best documented entries into the series um, that I know of. Uh, so what I'll tell you is it aired, it says February 4th, 1989. I think in general, because it was syndicated, um, it may have aired 
round for 1989, which sounds funny because it is a Christmas episode, but we will get into that. So, like I said earlier, the, there are two Christmas-themed episodes of Monsters. There's Glim Glim um, and something called A New Woman, which is that twist on the Dickens Christmas Carol. Uh, this was directed by Paul Stein, who is probably really beloved to most of us here, even though we don't realize it, because he was the director of photography on Friday the 13th Part 2, Chud oh. and Pet Cemetery. He only what? ever directed, yeah, he only ever directed one other thing aside from this, which is um, something I never heard of before. So, according to uh, F. Paul Wilson, who wrote Glim Glim, Wilson said that Tom Allen was a story editor and a creative consultant on Monsters and was a friend of Wilson's. So, Allen brought Wilson over to Laurel Productions. They had this office, and they gave him that basic breakdown that I talked about earlier of their script requirements. What they said was, quote, the guidelines were simple but strict. One or two lead characters, one to two, three supporting characters, one monster, one or two interior locations, no exteriors, three scenes with the 5-8-8 minute breakdown. Um, so Wilson was kind of intrigued by the structure and said he'd give it a go and submitted an outline. So um, this is an interesting one for uh, F. Paul Wilson, because if you're familiar with him, he mostly writes short stories and novels, I believe. And this was an original script and not an adaptation. Um, but he did eventually adapt it for one of his books, uh, which I'll give the title here in a second when I get to that. So. Anyway, right before Wilson was about to sign a contract for the script, there was a writer's guilt strike, or they were claiming that there was going to be one. They were planning one. So uh, because um, he wasn't working with the contract yet, he went ahead and decided to flesh out the outline um, and wrote the script during the strike. So when that ended, um, it was already August, and which was good that he'd already finished the script because he knew he was going to have to go into production like right away if he was going to meet um, the December airtime, which it didn't. So um, he ended up having some tussles with the production company about setting. So when he originally wrote the script, he was really interested in having one outdoor scene. As a matter of fact, I think the climactic scene at the end was actually supposed to take place uh, outdoors in the snow. But um, the producers said that they couldn't allow that, that they didn't have the budget for it, and so he had to move everything back inside the library, which I think works. Um, because I like him in there with the Christmas tree and everything. I don't know. I think that closed in space kind of works in the favor of the story. Um, but he did go on to say that he thought the experience of making Glim Glim was really positive. He said that um, even though he was the writer, I don't think writers spent a lot of time on set. They always contacted him if they wanted to make a change in the dialogue or something in the script. And he said overall he didn't care for some of the overacting. He did not care for the actor who played Carl. And he didn't care for the way the monster looked. But he felt that overall it really hit this uh, emotional level that he was shooting for. So he really liked um, the way it all came together at the end. Um, and then the script, I think, appears in a book, uh, which is a collection of Wilson stories called The Barons and Others, if anybody wants to check that out. Now, the man who brought him on to this, uh, Tom Allen, actually died before the episode aired. He died suddenly. He was, I think he was pretty young when he died, and it surprised everybody. And uh, F. Paul Wilson said he was really sad that he couldn't see this um, come to fruition because he really wanted F. Paul Wilson to adapt something and worked with him to get him on the production. Uh, later, F. Paul Wilson would have a story uh, adapted by Dario Argento for Masters of Horror that was called Pelts. And, of course, the little girl who played Amy is Jenna Von Oy, who we best know as Six from Blossom, which I didn't even recognize until I looked at the credits, and I could look at her. I didn't realize she'd been acting for such a little age. She's so good in this. She is the standout to me in Glim Glim, I think. That's a really good performance. She's um, a Christmas episode of Tales um, from Darkness, too. Really? Yeah. Oh, is she the little girl in the remake of the uh, Tales from the Crypt episode? 
No, she's in um, Tales from the Dark Side, the Seasons of Belief. The Dark Side, I'm sorry. I thought you said... The one with the, the the jerky parents who tell the, the story brother. about the monster yeah. or whatever? Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh, that's her? Yeah. I almost chose that one because I know Nate loves the Grither. I love the Grither. That's an intense <laughs> episode. I really like it, too. Maybe we'll do that one next year. That one's a lot of fun. I didn't realize. We'll, have, we'll just do a Jenna Von Oy Christmas <laughs> special every year. Hopefully she's done more than those two. But, um, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. So that's another piece of background. So, um, and that's our background for Glim Glim. Um, and we're going to pick it up by doing something much happier. We're going to play a Christmas game. So Good. what we're going to do is we're going to do Nate's suggestion. So last time we played this game, we did something really fun, which is we sort of – so what we normally do, I give people um, a title, title of a film, and then you guys give me this, what you think the movie's about. And then Nate suggested that we do the inverse of that, whereas we get the – I give out the plot of a film, and then you try to guess the title. And so we're going to do that tonight with uh, Christmas films. And Joanna came equipped with um, nice. some uh, um, holiday-esque synopses for us to try to find titles for. And so why don't we go ahead and get started, Joanna? <laughs> okay, are you ready? Yep. Yes, yes, yes. Um, for the first movie that you should guess the title, here's the synopsis. A woman campaigning for mayor runs into a neighborhood problem. A man who lives every day as Santa Claus has moved in. He's annoyed his new neighbors with the attention he brings with crowds of traffic and people loitering in everyone's yards. Elizabeth Gates, who's, who's campaigning for mayor, Elizabeth takes on the new complication, or she her campaign takes on a new complication when everyone learns that this year-round Santa Claus is actually her father. Ooh. And I will tell you, this is based on a true story. And it's not called One Life to Live? <laughs> That's very soapy. Okay, so um, Joanna, jo- just pick one of us, to, and we'll go, like, in a circle or something. Okay, how about Dan? I am going to say, um, uh, oh, God. S- s- wait a minute, Santa's? S- how, how about this? It, it'll just, and there'll be an exclamation point. Santa's daughter's the mayor. Oh, that's really good because you've worked in the entire story. Yeah, and then you don't have to think about it. You already know what the story is. You could just enjoy the, you know, you could just enjoy the uh, the character interactions. But it gives away the twist. So, like. Oh, there'll be another twist. Oh, <laughs> in your version, oh, there'll be lots. Of I, I, I the other title I had was "She's Santa's Mayor," but um, oh, I didn't know. That's good too. Yeah, that's I'll, pretty... I'll go with I'll go with she's Santa's mayor instead, and there'll be a picture of like you'll see her her standing in front of his house, and he'll be like looking out a window at her like huh. So I'll do that instead. I don't want to spoil everything. It made me sound like it made it made it sound to me like she's the sheriff. Yeah, I was thinking because... of there was an old there was an old sitcom called He's the Mayor from the mm. mid eighties that was on very briefly, and I was thinking like something like that. Yeah. Okay, who do you want to go next, Joanna? You. Oh God. Okay. 
Um, well, he took the best title because I really like that. So um, I'm going to call it uh, The Christmas Family Tree. That's pretty good. Yeah, well, because they found out, you know, that they're related. So it's Christmas and that that's our family tree, too. So there you go. That is pretty good. That's probably better than the real title. <laughs> Damn, I didn't get it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what do you think, Nate? Um, I'm going to go with. Santa may or may not be coming to town. <laughs> oh, that's good. I love that one. What is it? The real title um, is A Different Kind of Christmas. I uh, understand that your real name is Robert George. People called me that a long time ago. No, I'm just Santa. Uh-huh. Cookies and fudge? No, thank you. Maybe a glass of milk. Oh, thank you. So, Santa, is this just a hobby of yours, or are you trying to promote something? Oh, no, it's not a hobby, not at all. It's my life. And yes, I am promoting something, the spirit of Christmas. Oh. In the summer. Love isn't needed just one day a year, Mr. Mallory, although some people act like it is. Could I borrow a finger? Excuse me? I don't like that title at all. No. It's a, <laughs> we did better. Yeah, I think we did. It's a movie that debuted on Lifetime. The lead, Elizabeth Gates, is Shelley Long. Oh. oh. Santa is Bruno Kirby. Oh. <laughs> and the reporter who breaks the story is Barry Bostwick. Oh. I have to see this. You had me at Barry Bostwick. <laughs> and this is actually based on a true story. The man, Robert George, in real life, lived his life year-round as Santa Claus, and he was the White House Santa Claus for several administrations. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, I knew that there was a White House uh, Santa Claus. There's also a Santa Claus to the stars. I don't know if he still exists, but I think you, every year, like, really famous celebrities would hire this one particular, or maybe it's a, an organization, but um, they would hire this particular Santa Claus or that organization to come and do all the parties. And he was really expensive, I think. I don't <laughs> well, know. Well, you pay he, you pay for quality. Yeah, I don't know what he did exactly, but uh, but he was very specifically oh, no. used by the celebrities. <laughs> that's that's all oh, I boy. know about it. It's like Scientology; oh, they just don't talk about it. <laughs> but it exists. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really good. I don't necessarily love the title, but um, but that sounds like a really good movie. Plus, it has a really good cast. You know, what year did that come out? Ninety six. Oh, wow. I can't believe I haven't heard of that. And it was made by Lifetime? Well, it debuted on Lifetime. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that one out. That sounds fun. Cool. Okay, what's the next one? Okay. A New York City lawyer named Hugo Spencer returns to his home in Milwaukee with his gal pal Maddie to spend Christmas with his family. Hugo and Maddie help Hugo's mother, Kate, with her holiday party at the train station the last event at the historic community center before its demolition. Hugo reconnects with handsome Patrick, who he admired in high school. The men click right away and their romance quickly grows. That is, until Hugo receives word from his law firm that he's made partner and must move to London. Hugo is uncertain about this opportunity and how it will affect his relationship with his family and his new love, Patrick. Wait a minute. This is a movie about two men who fall in love? Yep. Oh, awesome. it, it, is it new? 
It is. Oh, I should I shouldn't be asking these questions because we have to come up with the title. That's kind of I'm not trying to fish, but I was <laughs> hoping that was made in the '80s because I was like, wow, could you imagine? This sounds so good. Okay, go ahead. Pick people to pick titles and. Um, let's um, let's go backwards. Let's go. Let's start with Nate. Okay, let's see. Um, I'm going to go with. It always seems so much easier in theory, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Yes, it um, does. It does. I'm gonna go with um, make the Yuletide gay. Ooh, that's so good. <laughs> Perfect. That's pretty good. There is already a movie called Make the Yuletide gay. Really? It's oh, a, that's awesome. I have to look it up. That's an indie film, and this one is made for TV. Oh, okay. But you're real close. Oh. Dan, what do you think? Uh, it was it was Hugo and Patrick, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, the wild and crazy Christmas machinations of Hugo and Patrick Esquire. <laughs> Close. <laughs> yes. About- well, well, okay. Here's the thing. So Nate took Yuletide from me. So I'm not just taking that because you said he was close. But I already. So the thing is, you said that there was going to be a train or a train station that was going to be demolished, which made me think of Demolition University which has nothing to do with anything, but then I got the word demolition in my head, so then I decided it would be called Yuletide Demolition, and it would actually be kind of like a more action-packed film than you've led us to believe. Yes. Like a diehard, but like with two Mm. gay men having Christmas and saving a railroad station. (laughs) I like it. If you'll remember in years past, the titles that I usually supply for Christmas movies... They're extremely nonspecific. Yeah. yeah. They're yes. very general. So it's <laughs> you're, I like your creative answers are often better than the actual title. <laughs> the titles are really nonspecific. But this, as you just as you guessed, this is a brand new movie. It just came out this past weekend. Um, oh. and it is a Lifetime original movie, and it's called The Christmas Setup. Oh. December 12th. I'm headed back to Milwaukee. My mother is thrilled. Oh, you look so skinny! feel like a teenager again. Do you mind staying here because the Christmas tree is being delivered? Ah! Patrick Ryan? When I saw him, I almost died. I'm sure it was just all in your head. No, literally, I fell down the stairs. You okay? I'm fine. Let's go! If my mom just stays awake at night thinking of ways to publicly humiliate me, I think you look adorable. Lifetime Christmas love is for everyone. Outlast Psycho. Mom, I don't need you meddling in my social life. Oh, hi, Patrick. Fate definitely crossed paths. Fate for Kate. I'll just leave you two boys to it. Ben Lewis, Blake Lee, Ellen Wong, Chad Connell, and Fran Drescher. I don't have to ask Santa for anything this year. I already got it. It's the first same sex couple as a central romance on a Christmas TV movie. Who stars in it? Do you know? Is anybody famous? Yeah. Uh, ben Lewis and Blake Lee are Hugo and Patrick. And in real life, they're um, really a, a married couple. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. This sounds so good. And the mother was played by Fran Drescher. And oh, she, <laughs> she was fantastic. Wow. I'm so happy that I can't believe that that's the first, but I'm glad it's happened. I mean, 2020 has brought one good thing. It sounds like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, because you may know better, Joanna, but I feel like a lot of Christmas movies um, have a pretty dedicated gay audience. 
And I'm sort of basing that off Michael Verratti, who wrote a couple of them. I mean, he really knows Christmas movies. And it seems like it seems like he's not the only one. You know, he's just the one that's writing them. And I'm sure other gay people have written Christmas movies. But yeah. do you know if they have a pretty sizable gay audience? Anecdotally, I do. I don't have, like, statistics. But oh, anecdotally, sure. Anecdotally, yes. And, and just as you pointed out, yes, I do know multiple... Um, Christmas TV writers that are gay and and many actors are gay too and you know representation matters and that's one of the um, things that's so exciting um, that we are finally getting same-sex couples being more visible and and as instead of just side characters the last several years we've had um, same-sex characters as side characters and now we've got them as a central romances and it's wonderful it's 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 about time and this is the turning this year 2020 is the turning point for seeing a bunch of those the christmas setup which i just gave you the summary for that's uh, a lifetime movie we also have happiest season which made its debut on hulu this year hallmark had a movie that there's still side characters but it's a a gay couple that's married and adopting a child they're not pushed to the side they're pulled more towards the center but there's still not a lead romance, but they're moving closer uh, to the center. Uh, that was the Christmas house This also this year. Oh, and last night was the debut of uh, Dashing in December, which was another uh, same-sex romance between two men, and that debuted on Paramount Network. This is the year we're seeing um, some real progress. That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that, actually. That's really great. Um, again, I'm surprised it took till 2020, but I'm just happy that it's here. And um, it sounds like um, definitely uh, people are to hear that Hallmark is doing it. And if they're not centralizing the character, but still giving them a prominent storyline, that's because that, I would I don't know enough about Christmas movies, but I would feel like anything that has a Hallmark stamp on it is yeah. um, they tend to be more conservative kind of storytelling or traditional, I guess maybe is the word I want to say. And so it's nice to see them kind of like putting that there as sort of like a normal thing, like normalizing it, you know, that's a big step, I think. Yes. And fans have been calling for this for several years. Um, and the networks are all stepping up. I'm very happy that Lifetime has crossed that boundary first. And the the movie, The Christmas Setup, that uh, we were just talking about, that actually is, they didn't just make this movie. They put a lot of time and love and energy into it. It's probably the best Christmas casting script. Uh, it's extremely well acted. It's charming. It's romantic. It's fantastic. So they really broke down those gates with a really strong um, product. It's It's an exciting time. Oh, that's so great. So I'm curious, do you know, do the actors have anything to do with the production of it? Because the fact that they were married or together in real life, uh, if um, you know, if like this was a project of theirs. I don't think it's a project project of theirs, but I know that they were used in the marketing of the movie as a real life um, couple because it was a part of the story, the backstory of how this film got made. They were because these two men um, are both actors, they're both professional actors, and they're a married, real life married couple. They've been quarantining together. So it was easy to get easier to get those two on board and a little bit easier than to move the project forward than to get two other actors who would have to quarantine. <laughs> so, right, sure. So um, it was just a, a match made in heaven sort of situation. And Actually, their romance really translates on screen well. It was 
smoldering. It was great. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's definitely on my list of 2C things. Oh, yay. I'm so glad you brought that one up. Fantastic. Um, uh, I guess we'll go on to the next one, but I don't want to leave this behind. <laughs> Are we ready? Yeah, I think so. Okay, this is not a TV movie. It was released into theaters, and it's one of these movies about that has two. It's a Christmas movie that has two talking dogs. Uh, in this comedy, the husband, James, is hired to be a pilot for an executive businesswoman named Samantha Laban, although she has her heart on seducing James. James is more concerned with his own family and their two new dogs, Daphne and Rox. When Samantha, when Samantha tricks James into being away from his family on Christmas Eve to spend a romantic holiday in, the ca- in a cabin in the woods, the wife decides to go find her husband and preserve her family. The antagonistic dogs come together to help reunite the family. Oh, I don't want to see this one. <laughs> okay, so who do you want to go first? You go first. Okay, um, Christmas goes to the dogs. <laughs> that's that's mine. Actually, there are quite a few talking dog Christmas movies. I I thought there might be. I don't feel like I want to watch those. Just just an opinion. What do you think, Nate? Um, one rough Christmas. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, that's pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That that's kind of a, a variation of what I wanted to say. Oh boy, um, it's hard to go last, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, how how about the talking dogs take over Christmas? Another one of my stupid titles, but that's all I could think of. I lost my pun. I lost my pun. It's still better than probably what the title is. So, <laughs> actually, this one is "Look Who's Talking Now." This is the third in the oh, franchise. Oh. Of Look Who's Talking movies. The Art of Parenting is knowing when to say yes, Look what we got, Mom. knowing when to say no, and when to walk the dog. I just marked that spot. Oh, well, I'll do it again tomorrow. John Travolta, Kirstie Alley, with the voices of Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton. Showing. They like each other. Mongrel. Ah, put a sack in it. Look who's talking now. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday. And none of us recognize it. That's how much we watch the Look Who's Talking franchise. (laughs) Kirstie Alley and John Travolta and Danny DeVito and Diane um, Keaton. I would be willing to say because it's uh, one of the Look Who's Talking movies, it's probably better than other talking dog movies. Would you say that's correct, Joanna? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Low bar, but yes. Okay. <laughs> that, you know, so I know you watch a lot of these Christmas movies, but, like, I don't want to ask you what you don't like, because I know you try to represent all films, but, like, is it hard when you get something that's, like, beat to death, like something like this, and, and sit and watch all of these, like, very, very similar films? And I know it's in some to some degree, I guess a lot of them are connected by similar tropes, but I'm sure some of them are very much like the one before it, and there's just a bunch of them. Is that hard? To, like, sit through all those? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. And I see myself as a historian, and so it's not about whether I like it or not. Yeah. It's about um, adding it to the body of work. And But, yeah, it's not easy watching bad movies. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I just mean like this. Like, is there? I don't want to ask you what kind, but like, is there like a certain trope that just drives you nuts? Um, there's probably quite a few tropes that drive me nuts. <laughs> At the same time, I'm watching programs that are often, you know, they're not made for me, and that's right. okay. and that's okay. Yeah, like, it's really hard. We're talking about talking dog movies, and that's and that, what I mean. <laughs> that's that's hard, but those are often made for families to sit together. They're not, you know, specifically made for me to to get the same sort of enjoyment for. And you know what? Some of them some of them are okay. Some of them are much better than others. And and just when I think I've seen you know the worst of something, I will see something that is clearly much better and and people did take time to make it better than you know sure but some but some of the worst things for me to watch are like like preschooler entertainment oh yeah there's a lot of christmas entertainment (laughs) for for preschoolers i will just say this it's very difficult to watch something that's like aimed to hold the attention of an 18 month old (laughs) or a And then I have to find words to sort of describe wow. this and to put it in a context and to make sense of it and then also sort of like compare it to what else is it, it's meant to exist within. And it I often takes me a long time, <laughs> a long time. And it's um, that kind of thing is is more tedious to me than some, you know, than some of these Christmas movies. I don't know why, but I have this image of you sitting in an apartment that looks very much like Alice's apartment on Alice, like with your smokes and your coffee, and you're <laughs> watching these things, right? And you're just like, criminy. <laughs> what am I going to do with this? You know what I mean? Like, I have this image of you look really like, oh, man, another one. Yeah, I would imagine that there's, I mean, what I think is so interesting and what is maybe like a testament to you, and we have to watch a lot of things, and I think uh, people who don't normally do that. Like I noticed when I first started writing about TV movies, um, people would write about like a couple of the big ones and then they would run out of like movies. Like, cause a lot of TV <laughs> movies are very much like the TV movie before it. Right. And I noticed that when people like grab onto a niche, sometimes they don't approach it, especially the way you do, because you watch thousands of more things than I do. And like, and like are able to look at it the way you do with like this historian lens and come to this idea that like it's not necessarily for me and you look at it in the context of what it's for. And um and it really drains the swamp, if I can use Trump's phrase, um, of people that that try to like grab onto niches and then realize that it's actually more difficult sometimes to write about these things and to to talk about them than you would think. You know, like it sounds fun at first, but you have to go through so many movies. And not only that, but the way your brain works. Like for me, like um, somebody wanted to um, interview me recently and I asked them what kind of movies they wanted to talk about. And they were like, I'll just give you the questions. And, you know, you've seen all the movies. And they gave me a title of a TV movie that I haven't seen since like 1992. And I was like, there's no way I could talk about that movie if you hadn't given it to me, because I don't. I, I watch a movie and then I do what I need to with it, and then it goes out the brain, and I watch another movie, right? And that's how I do things. But your brain, Joanna, is really insanely spongy because I remember when I took you to the college I was going to, and we sat in that class, and we were telling people what you did for a living. All these pe- students were trying to throw titles at you, thinking that you wouldn't know that Christmas episode, and you were like, "Oh yeah, that was from like season four." 
and they had that special guest, Dom DeLuise or whatever, and like you knew every specific thing about that episode. <laughs> and it was mind blowing because I remember the students were kind of challenging you. So like the things that you do, like when you say it's maybe not as pleasant to watch, uh, you know, um, like Barney's Christmas than it might be to watch the Christmas setup, your brain is still taking in all of that information, you know, and that that blows my mind. And insanely blows my mind because I would not be able to do that at all. And I bet if I brought up, like, I don't know if Barney made a Christmas special, but I bet if I just said that right now, you'd be like, oh, that aired in 1989. And that's what I mean. Like, how do you know the number right off the top of your head? Like, that blows my mind that you can do that and that you can watch all these things that you know aren't specifically made for you and still represent them properly um, to the audience that would be interested in it. Like, that's just such a, I mean, I put myself in that category because I do things with TV movies, but no, not to the degree that you do them at all. Um, it's, it blows my mind. It's just I think, amazing. I think there's a compliment in there. Totally a compliment because I don't know, like, because you're doing a couple of different things. One, your brain is soaking up all of this information. It's retaining it, which is amazing, but also that you're able to take a step back and understand your audience to a degree that I don't know that all writers do. You know, and that's impressive in and of itself because you're always thinking outside of not always. I'm sure some of it's for yourself, too, obviously. But like you're always taking a step back and thinking about um, the reader. Right. And and that's really important. And that's something I think it's forgotten about sometimes in writing as well. But it's just it's just really the amount of information that you've been able to pick up over the years that is like ridiculous like my head is spinning just trying to think about it um and it's it, it's so good and i'm glad that you come here every year and impress us with it that's it thank you i, sure. I see myself as a historian and i bring that passion for that bigger picture you know i i pay attention to all the little details and all the little programs but it all comes under this umbrella of what christmas entertainment looks like and i keep that perspective i try to keep that perspective pretty front in my mind to watch everything in order to keep it as a piece of the larger puzzle and but that's the job of a historian and not everybody has the personality or the desire or the um the ability to to do that and i i i'm glad i'm still doing it after uh 20 years yeah i, I too I'm excited for uh, my updated expanded encyclopedia the next yes, year. Can't it's going to blow some minds. It's um, <laughs> it's blowing my mind. <laughs> I just can't wait to get that out and for um, people to be able to interact with it and to uh, take what they want out of it. Yeah, it's going to help a lot of people because like um, what you have already is like so ginormous, like it's full of so much information and yet now there's so much more to add to it that it's going to make people who are like, they're yeah. just people who are obsessed with Christmas and well, they do the whole year and they're really <laughs> going to find more things to explore through that, you know? And I just can't wait for the conversation to move forward beyond me. It needs to be, you know, I want everybody else to interact with it and I want everybody else to, you know, push that conversation forward and to talk about what's going on in Christmas entertainment because it is doing interesting things. Um, and, and the stories that we tell at Christmas and embrace at Christmas are really changing. And uh, I can't wait for people to have that bigger picture view like I do. Yeah, that's exciting. I was going to ask you, Joanna, when exactly the new version uh, of your book is coming up. I don't have an exact date, but it will be out um, October, November of 2020. 
21. Yay! Oh, that's fantastic. Because I was, um, I, I was, I posted one of our Happy Days discussions that we did like last year, a month or so yes. ago, when we talked about the um, the Happy Days episode uh, with Fonzie's dad. And at the end of that, you mentioned uh, the book, and I thought, should I leave that in there? I'm not sure when the book is coming out, but then I'll leave it in there. Get people excited, because I'm excited. I actually have the copy of the book right here. I'm looking at it right now. Hello, hello, book. It's right here. I'm looking right at it. Fantastic it's indispensable. Book. Like you just, there's so much in it mm. that like you just flip through it and and like even if you're marginally interested in Christmas, you're gonna find a couple things that you're going you probably have never heard of that you're going to want to look at. And you and you could hear Joanna in it. Yeah. Like if if you if you've talked with Joanna as we're doing right now, and you read the book, you can hear her voice in the writing in the book which is nice yeah it's great and so i'm really excited for this new edition super excited actually so um good so why don't you tell us where we can find you and if you have anything else you want to talk about or announce um and so people can connect with you um i people can always find me at my website which is at christmas tv history.com and you can also find me on social media at under the name of my encyclopedia, which is Tis the Season TV. And do you have any other projects that you're working on, or is it solely you're really concentrating on the book and um, the, your specials this year? Yeah, I'm just uh, working on capturing everything that is Christmas in 2020 here and um, updating the database, and then the encyclopedia will be out next year. Cool. Yay. That's very exciting. Um, because this is a special episode um, and a mini so sort of, I'm not going to do like a shameless self-promotion right now for us. But I will say you can find us at uh, Made for TV Mayhem on Twitter, uh, at the Made for TV Mayhem show on Facebook. We're on Instagram at Made for TV Mayhem. And you can email us at TV Mayhem. What is our TV Mayhem podcast at gmail.com? I can't, if I don't write these down, I can't remember right. them yet. And, um, and like an idiot, I actually lined up a guest for next month and two movies. And that's the first time in months I did it before recording of the previous episode, but I didn't write down what the movies are and I can't remember oh. one of the titles. So what I will say is that we have lined up a guest for next month and we're going to be covering two fabulous tv movies and um so we'll be back in january and i'm going to do my best in the new year to make this pretty consistent thing i think and keep uh your eyes out for a new trap cast which should come out before the end of the year and i guess we should all just wish everybody happy holidays and drink some eggnog and get smashed and hope for a better 2021 <laughs> yes happy holidays and merry christmas everybody Yay. Yes, Merry christmas merry christmas happy holidays happy kwanzaa and happy oh yeah Hanukkah. yeah yeah and, and just and just uh, happy everything. Let me just yeah. Be happy. You are so inclusive, Nate. I really love that. Thank you. <laughs>